If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to First uh, John chapter one. First uh, John chapter. I'm sorry, Jill. Kim sitting beside you. It's awkward, isn't it? Yeah, you made her. That's good. That's good. We're so glad. So I should warn you. Uh, I'm a little um, uh, heavy on Nyquil at the moment. So if you need me to drive a forklift uh, today, that's probably not advised. Um, but it will be entertaining. Uh, but First John uh, chapter 1, I, I'm excited. I've been waiting for a couple of months now uh, to get into uh, this discussion of, of lessons through the, uh, the epistle of First John, because uh, we are fans here of walking verse by verse through books of the Bible, uh, mainly because it's a great way of making sure that we are being truthful uh, to how we think about God. By, by going this route, we're allowed to see context in play. We can see, uh, be, we can be reminded of themes that God is developing over and over and over again. And uh, to me, when we walk through books of the Bible, I don't know if this is, if, if you can see it this way, but it's a lot like watching a TV series as opposed to watching a movie. Uh, because in a series, as it takes its time to develop, you get to see story arcs, you get to see uh, characters develop and uh, to where a movie just kind of moves you from point A all the way to, to point B and it can happen rather quickly and uh, and I'm a fan of the TV series. I, I like seeing, I like putting in the time um, even though at the end of every series I always feel like oh, I haven't been rewarded uh, as if the cast was going to show up at my door and give me a hug saying, hey man, we made it. Um, but, but So we make it a commitment here uh, that a majority of our teaching is through books of the Bible so that we can make sure that we aren't hiding from difficult spots where God would have us uh, identify sin, identify dysfunction in our lives, and then call us to repentance, uh, that we would turn away from that so that we could walk uh, with Him, that we could walk towards Him, that we could ultimately uh, be healthy, joyful, peaceful people. And... And I'm excited about First John specifically because inside these five chapters are some of my very favorite verses that you will find. Uh, and so uh, I, I love that we are invited to gaze at the love of God, uh, which is most expressed uh, by, him sending, by Him sending His Son uh, to be the hero of our story. And this is what First John is going to put on display for us. And so today what we're going to do, though, we're going to walk through about four verses. And what it will do as an introduction, it will set the groundwork for all the places that we are uh, going to go for the next couple weeks. So let's pray, uh, and then let's dive in. Father, we come to you, and we are so very thankful that we are completely helpless without your Spirit. We are so very thankful that you've sent your Spirit to guide us to teach us, to, to remind us of the things that Your Son has said. And, and Father, my prayer is that we would make no greater claim today than who we are in Jesus. We pray that we would see that in these words this morning. We love You. It's in Christ's name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Alright, so, so this letter that, that I hope uh, you grow to love as much as I do, uh, is written by a guy named John. And you're like, well, that's a coincidence. This book is called First John. 
Yeah, because he's the author of it. You write your own book, maybe you can call it your own first name. I don't know. Um, but John is known in the Gospels uh, as John, the son of Zebedee, uh, which I always think is fun. I like the name Zebedee. Uh, but, but more expressly, he is called in John chapter 21, the disciple who Jesus loved. Uh, one of my favorite moments when you walk through the Gospel of John is he likes to point out uh, multiple times that he's a faster runner than Peter. Because uh, he will say the disciple who Jesus loved beat Peter there in the foot race. And so, um, but John serves as one of the 12 original disciples. Uh, and he is, actually more than that, he is part of a triad, a group of three guys who tends to walk a little bit closer to Jesus. He's, he stood on top of a mountain this in, uh, in one of the Gospels. And uh, he's standing with Peter and James and then him being John. Uh, as he gets to see uh, Jesus transfigured, this, this incredibly beautiful moment uh, where he gets to see Jesus and Moses uh, and, and Elijah all talking together. And, and so uh, he writes uh, five books of the New Testament. He writes the Gospel of John. He writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which are letters. Uh, and then he authors the book of Revelation. Uh, and now, while he's writing this, these letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John... Uh, it's believed that he's living in Ephesus. Uh, so if you read the book Ephesians, you can get a good feel for what's going on around him. And, and all he is doing is overseeing some house churches. Uh, and as the, as the community begins to develop, he writes some things as a point of clarification. Uh, because as, it, as will happen from time to time, uh, we can create some very false thoughts the more time we spend with one another. Uh, and so John is going to press into that. And, and really, in all of his writings, John is very determined to help people see Jesus and how they relate to him. Uh, they, he constantly proclaims Christ. He constantly pro- explains the heart of God through the life, the death, the resurrection, uh, through the actions, through the words of, of Jesus Christ, his son. And so, so what he's going to be largely proclaiming these verses, is helping us see the Father through the lens of Jesus. And so the way this is broken up, uh, basically chapter 1, verse 5, through chapter 3, hello? Um, is she talking to me or is she talking to you? I don't know. It's, it's rude that she would not be talking to me. Um, but from 1, 5 to 3, 10, basically here's, here's what's happening. Uh, John is going to tell us about God, and he's going to simply say this, God is light. God is light. That, that this light exposes the darkness. It, it reveals the path to restoring a relationship with Him that's been broken by our sin. And this light helps us see how we can please God, how we can serve one another in a way that is mutually beneficial. And then in, in verses 3.11 through the remainder, through 5.17, uh, John's going to build on this enormously important truth that, that not only is God light, but God is love. And, and he's going to define what love is for us. He's going to help us understand how we can trust uh, God's love, how there's a connection between love and our victories on this side of eternity. And, and all these are simply key issues that, that if, if, if you track back a little bit in John's life, 
These are words that Jesus uses uh, as he speaks some truth into him. Like we talk about this quite frequently here. One of my favorite scenes in all the Bible uh, is the Last Supper, uh, when Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And in John uh, chapters 14 through 17, uh, we get, or 13 through 17, we get to see Jesus speak to his uh, guys about life changing and changing dramatically. Uh, and, and what John is going to reiterate in 1 John is largely what is expressed to us in that very intimate moment that Jesus has uh, with his guys. And, and so all, all this time uh, will be helpful. And prayerfully what it will do for us is it will grow our hearts closer to Jesus. And as our hearts grow closer to Jesus, we will grow closer together. Uh, that it will help form better community. That it will help strengthen our families. And, and so today where we go though is, is John's going to lay some groundwork for how we get to see Jesus, uh, for how important, because it's a re, there's a repeated phrase that comes from uh, in the Gospels from the mouth of Jesus, and he'll say, if you know me, you can know the, the God of love. If you know me, you can know the Father. And so, so John's going to start this letter in these four verses, and he's going to give some credentials about who Jesus is, where he comes from, and, from, and how he leads us uh, to eternal life, because Christ is eternal life for us. And so the reason uh, John's going to start with Jesus is, is because he's addressing some arguments that were happening inside and outside the early first century church. Um, because again, these guys are trying to figure out what theology looks like. I mean, I know we in 2019 have nailed it, right? Um, we all agree on every point of theology. Uh, and so imagine being the very first century church, and they don't have uh, a Lifeway or a Mardell's or a Facebook to tell us what to think and what to believe. And so, um, so he writes this because he knows something that is essential to our lives. He knows that, that if we don't get the Jesus answer question correct, we're going to struggle. And for many of us, we're going to die and we're going to be separated from God for eternity. And so he comes in, he says, it's essential you would understand who Jesus is, that you would understand what Jesus has done, that you would understand how you share in life with Christ, uh, and then how you share in and walk in his resurrection. In uh, C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, um, which if you want to just look smart, put it in your bookshelf, uh, if you'd like to be smarter, read it. Um, but he says this, and I think it helps set the stage. He says, he says, Christianity stands or falls on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's absolutely true. It succeeds or it fails on whether or not a true and genuine incarnation actually took place in space and time. The options as to who Jesus is and what Jesus did can basically be reduced to four. He could have been a liar, someone who was simply uh, who simply was not who he claimed to be and knew it. He could have been a lunatic, someone who thought he was somebody, but in fact he was not. He could have been a legend, someone who was not or uh, who others later imagined him to be, or he could have been he could be the Lord. Uh, he is who he said he is, and his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection prove it to be true. And understand, how, how we understand 
the role of Jesus in our story directly affects how we relate to God the Father. It will. To the degree of our love for Him uh, measures to the degree of love we have for the Father. And so, so as we read John's letter, you're going to discover a, a certain word that kind of pops up from time to time. And it's a, it's a beautiful word. Uh, it's called the word manifest. In fact, we're going to see it today uh, once we get to verse 2. Manifest. It says that the life was made manifest. And this is important because John's going to help us understand that as God sends Jesus, who he's going to call the life in these verses, he doesn't arrive hidden uh, so that we could go search and find him as if we found some map and it's the key that nobody else knows, but rather not uh, that the life was made manifested, that it was revealed openly. And so the question that we need to kind of wrestle with before we get into verse 1 is simply this, that, okay, if you were God, okay, which, <laughs> that's a dangerous question, right? Uh, if, if you were God, how would you go about revealing yourself to man? How, how would you do it? How, how would you go about telling them about you, about your heart? How would you give them? How would you, how would you help them understand the kind of life that you want them to enjoy? Okay, and so, so there's roughly three ways we see God doing this. Okay, uh, in your talk notes, you can start following along if you'd like. Uh, number one, how does God reveal himself to us? Number one is through creation. All the way back to that in the beginning, right? When God is creating the heavens and the earth and the light and the, the darkness, all these things. God is simply expressing himself to us through his creation. Romans uh, chapter 1 verse 19. Uh, Romans chapter 1 is incredible. Um, not, not, not so much happy, feel good about life, but... But it's incredible. It says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them, being us, because God has shown it to them. For the invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, uh, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Juan, do you mind? Can you get some water? Thank you. Uh, the, the challenge... Uh, in, in creation alone is that uh, this can never tell us the story about God's love. It shows us about His power. It shows us about His creativity. But if we were left wondering what does God's love look like, we couldn't really see it, though we do feel at times we can, right? Uh, if you, when you see a sunset, when you see a mountain, when you see the crashing of waves, you can see beauty, but you can't see love. And so there is something that God longs for us to see even more than that. And so, number two, God reveals himself to us through his word. In case we are wondering, as we look around and we say, that's incredible, I wonder who made it. God says, hey, I'm going to tell you who made it. It was me. And not only am I going to tell you that I made that, I'm going to tell you that I made you. And I'm going to tell you as I made you that I care about you. And I long to have a relationship with you. And I want to walk with you. And I want you to understand that when life is hard, I am near. And when, when things are confusing, I have uh, the complete ability. Thank you, brother. I have the complete ability. If I just died this morning, 
just move along. Just say, hey, we had a good go. Uh, you know, oh. But he says, he says I, I want you to see this. And so he gives us his word. And one of the greatest privileges we have in this world is the fact that we can open up a Bible and we can read about God's incredible care for us. And it's funny to me that we live in an age where we're not readers, but we are Facebookers, which is reading, right? We say, I don't, I don't have time to get into God's Word today because my life is so busy, but I can watch 14,000 reruns of The Office. Okay? One of the greatest privileges we have in this world. I'm talking to you, son. Yes. Um, one of the greatest privileges we have in this world is that God says, I'm revealing myself to you through my word. I'm telling you about life. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It's a famous one about the Bible. All Scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. <coughs> That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, so his word is powerful and it's life-giving because in the Bible we get to know God's heart for us. As undeserved as we are, we get to know his heart for us. He declares his promise uh, through his word to provide a Savior so that when Jesus comes, he, can fu- he fulfills every single step. Because lastly, that's, that's God's final And it's His most complete revelation as He reveals Himself to us. Number three, He does it in His Son. He does it in His Son. Uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 1. Long ago, and at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Check this out. This is beautiful. He is, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited and is more excellent than theirs. And we could spend we could spend months just tasting the morsels of those verses. We could. We we could just spend days and weeks just tasting these words that describe Jesus. Warren Wearsby asked a great question when it comes to why we at times will say Jesus, at times we will say Christ, and, and at other times we'll say Jesus Christ, right? Um he says this why does Why does Jesus Christ have this name? He says, because Christ is to us what our words are to others. Our words reveal to others just what we think and how we feel. And so Christ reveals to us the mind and the heart of God. He is the living means of communication between God and men. To know Jesus Christ is to know God. To know Jesus Christ is is to know God. And this is, this is where John is taking us from verses 1 through 4. Uh, and, and this is a fair warning. It took me a while 
um, to become comfortable with the opening of uh, this letter. Uh, and really, um, a better way of thinking of these opening verses isn't a letter, it's more like a, a, a sermon. Um, I, I was waiting, when you read the New Testament, you'll get to these openings of these letters, and it's basically like all of us wrote notes in high school, right? Or in junior high, like, hey, what's up? Not much here, right? How you doing? It, nobody ever answers those questions, really. Um, but John doesn't start that way. Uh, and he doesn't even say, hey, it's me, John, uh, writing to you, you. You know, he just kind of starts talking. Uh, and so, so as we get into here, understand that this, this is a letter, yes, but it's more of a lesson. Uh, and so, this is the way he starts off. Verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Okay, so if you like to underline or circle in your Bible those few words, the word of life, you can circle that and then you can draw something out there and just say Jesus. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. So we want to tell you about this so that you too may have fellowship as indeed our fellowship is with uh, the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. So that our joy may be complete. So all we're going to do here is we're going to walk through three things that John tells us about Jesus in these verses. Uh, because it's, it's very helpful to us because it sets the stage for the remainder of uh, our time in First John. And the first thing he says, John says, is that Jesus is revealed. Jesus is revealed. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched uh, with our hands concerning the word of life. And in these first two verses, uh, John's going to point our attention to, the, uh, to a major truth about Jesus. And for many, it's a major sticking point about Jesus. He says that Jesus is both divine and he is human. Fully God, fully man. Okay, now we can try to debate that. We can try to wrestle um, with that thought. But this was a sticking point for a lot of people, because we like the idea of Jesus being fully man, because he can identify with our temptations and our struggles. Uh, and then we also like the idea of Jesus being fully God, meaning that he has the ability to rescue us. But when you try to put those things together, that's when we start to struggle. And all John says is, it's true, that, that Jesus is revealed this way. He's going he's to sprinkle this into both verses um, by, by alluding to where Jesus was before his arrival. And he's going to allude to his relationship with the Father. And then he's also going to talk about his own personal experience. And th this is what I love about uh, specifically uh, verse 1. Is John's experience is largely our experience with Jesus. He says, first I, I heard about him. And then I 
saw him, and then I looked upon him, and then I touched him. And that's that's largely the way we come to Christ, right? Um, we 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 hear about God's love for us in Jesus, and then we we see Jesus, but we don't see him clearly. And then the longer that we look at him, the longer we gaze upon him, the the more we see his incredible worth and our desperate need for him. And then in some way he touches our hearts and we give him it all. That's that's the process through how someone comes to be saved. And this is what John says. Now John has an experience that we don't have because A, he's he was born a long time ago and he physically got to walk with Jesus. And this is this is why he spends so much time in these early verses talking about this, because, because he's laying down his credentials, that when I say I was an eyewitness of Jesus, I'm, I am a bona fide eyewitness. I saw him. I walked with him for those three years. I was there when he was on the cross. I saw him rise again. I was there when he met us in the upper room. I got to watch him ascend to heaven. And so he says roughly four things about the word of life. He says we've heard him with our ears. And he's going to repeat this in verse 3 for for emphasis. He says we we saw him with our eyes. And again, he's going to repeat this for emphasis. And he says furthermore, we have observed him. And there was this intentional, this very intense and continuing gaze upon Jesus. If you remember when we were walking through the Gospel of Matthew, one of the things that the disciples were consistently doing is they're like, who is this guy? Who is this guy? And, and as we got to walk with them through the Gospel, we, we got to see them go from who is this man to who is this teacher to who is this rabbi to he is the Lord. He is the Son of God. We got to see that progression play out. And this John just says, Hey, I lived this. I lived this and I am forever changed by it. Number three, he, he says, he says, We're touched. Uh, we touched him with our hands. A, he was a real flesh and blood human being. He wasn't a ghost or a phantom. And this is what was developing uh, specifically by the Gnostics um, in the area. They said, Well, Jesus wasn't really a guy, he was more like a ghost. Uh, and so uh, this this was an issue and that John was trying to, to press against. And then lastly, he says, we testify, we declare uh, both present tense words that we saw Christ. This eternal life that was with the Father was revealed to us. And so when we read this, we can say, hey, we're not hearing this second and third hand. We are hearing this from Him and and John's point is that Jesus is revealed to us as a human. And, and I think this is one of the, the stumbling blocks that we have when we think about uh, the incarnate Christ, which is basically anytime you talk about Jesus being in the flesh. And, and, and Piper says this very well. Uh, and I tend to believe that when John Piper says something, it's, it's pretty much right. Um, and it sounds smarter than us. So, so let's just read what he said. He said, many are willing to believe in Christ if He remains a merely spiritual reality. But when we preach that Christ has become a particular man in a particular place, issuing particular commands and dying on a particular cross, 
exposing the particular sins of our particular lives, then the preaching ceases to be acceptable for many. Because I don't, I don't think it's so much the mystery of a divine and human nature in one person that causes most people to stumble over the doctrine of the Incarnation. The stumbling block is that the doctrine is true. Is that if the doctrine is true, every single person in the world must obey this one particular Jewish man. Everything he says is law. Everything he did is perfect. And the particular, particularity, who cares, of his work and his word flow out into history in the form of a particular inspired book written in a particular language of Greek and Hebrew that claims a universal authority over every other book that has ever been written. This is the stumbling block of the Incarnation. When, and pay attention, this, this hits me. When God becomes a man, He strips away every pretense of man to be God. We can no longer do our own thing. We must do what this one Jewish man wants us to do. We can no longer pose as self-sufficient because this one Jewish man says we are all sick with sin and must come to Him for healing. We can no longer depend on our own wisdom to find life because this one Jewish man who lived uh, for 30 obscure years in a little country in the Middle East says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. When God becomes a man, man ceases to be the measure of all things. And this man, this Christ, becomes the measure of all things. And this is simply intolerable to the rebellious heart of men and women. The incarnation is a violation of the Bill of Human Rights written by Adam and Eve and in the Garden of Eden. It's totality... Uh, forget that word too. Authority... Uh, I'm having a hard time, guys. We're going to get through this, man. It's your support, bro. You're the wind beneath my wings. It's imperialism. It's absolutism. And someone says, who does he think he is? And he answers, God. Who has the right to demand so much? Who has the right to to take away who I am? And he says, I'm God. I have that right. I have fulfilled every need you will ever have. And so when we talk about that, that's important for us to recognize. Number two, John will say that Jesus is felt. And he does this in in verse 2. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Made manifest, handed to us physically. We could touch that. that. That there was never a time when the Son was not. And there will never be a time when He will not be. That that John says we can feel Jesus, we can experience His presence eternally. Chapter 5 is going to tell us that that whoever, whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That the, the eternal life 
John refers to here is not something that we earn by good works. It's not something we deserve because of our good character. That, That eternal life, the life that is real, is a gift from God. That as He reveals Himself to us, He tells us, this is how I have shown my love to you in the greatest degree. That Christ is the that John wrote his gospel to tell people how to receive this, this wonderful life that, that lasts much longer than your very small and short story of your time here. That he wrote this first letter to tell people how, who, how to be sure they really have a relationship with God because he's going to bring us some hard words in the next couple of weeks about Hey, if you say that you are walking with God and yet you are choosing to live in darkness, then you don't know God. You don't you haven't really given him your heart. And so I really am dying. It's okay. It's okay. I can do this. So John supports this in verse 2. He reminds us how how Jesus was made known has been made known to us, manifested to us as our path towards, towards eternal life. And so, so Christ is, is he's not an abstraction. Uh, he has always been in union with God. Always. Always. There's never been a moment that He wasn't. In fact, John will tell us in uh, the Gospel of John, he will open, he'll say, the Word was with God in the beginning. That there's never been this moment. And the, so lastly, number three, Jesus is shared. Jesus is shared. So He's experienced. Um, he is felt and he is shared. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. So that, and that's the heart of the witness, right? I've experienced love. I've experienced joy. I have peace for the first time in my life. And it is my great desire to help you find those same things in your life. And so, so if John were a selfish person here, he'd be guilty of, of, of longing to have fellowship and having a complete joy. But we know he's not a selfish person. He's a child of the King. And his joy is complete when we walk in obedience and in the purpose of the gospel. That's all he desires. And so his claim is that, that he has seen Jesus, he has felt Jesus, he's come to know Jesus as King, and the cry of, of both his heart and his mouth is that others would see the beauty of Jesus. And that's, that's the purpose of our lives. That is, if you are found in Christ, that's it. I have seen, beheld, experienced Christ, and it is the cry of my heart, and it is the purpose of my life that those who are far from God would find life in Jesus. That is the work. It's not, it's not all these other things that we think are ultimate in the life. They always fall short. And Paul just says, my joy is complete when those who are far from Christ find them life, find life in Him. And it makes me wonder where we find joy. It, it makes me wonder 
where we pursue joy. It makes me wonder these moments in our lives where we think we've attained joy only to find out that that was fleeting. You ever saved up to buy something and you bought it and you played with it and all of a sudden it's not as much fun as you thought it was going to be? So if the footsteps of our lives are taking us places, I think John's going to say, where, where are you walking? Where, where, are, where are your footsteps going? Because we are all pursuing joy. Is that, is that a fair assumption that, that you would like to have joy? And so John says two things. I have joy in Christ, and then my joy is complete when I have walked with people and that they would see their joy in Christ. That's how, that's how, that's my role in the story of God. Start wrapping this up. So in introductions in letters like this can be hard because typically you kind of just want to kind of blow right through it. Because uh, you say, well, okay, we get it. There's a guy named John. He's writing to some people. Um, but but this particular letter is so very helpful. We, we shouldn't think of these opening verses as unnecessary because we can't get to where we are going until we realize where we're starting from. And John says we're starting with Jesus. He says look at first look at Jesus and then we can talk about how we respond to Jesus. And so as we read this this fascinating letter, you're going to discover... John's going to frequently repeat himself, uh, which typically that's what pastors do. We just constantly repeat ourselves until we feel like you, you're on board, right? And if you're not on board, we just circle around until you start to get on board or you fall asleep, one of those two. Um, but it's going to seem like he repeats himself, and he's going to weave three themes in and out of these chapters. He's going to talk about our obedience. He's going to talk about our love He's going to talk about truth. He's just going to keep weaving them in and out. Obedience, love, truth. Obedience, love, truth. And in these first two chapters, he's, he emphasizes fellowship, and he tells us that the conditions for fellowship are obedience, love, and truth. Obedience, love, truth. And then the latter half of this letter, John's going to deal primarily with, with sonship. What does it mean to be a son and a daughter of the king? How can a person really know he is a child of God? And and John says, well, sonship is revealed in obedience, love, and truth. Obedience, love, truth. And the question will be, why why does John use these particular tests of, of fellowship and sonship and and there's a very practical reason that, that when God made us, He made us in His own image. That means that, means that we, we have a personality patterned after God's and we have, we have a mind to think and we have a heart to feel and we have a, a will in which to make decisions. We have a, a spirit as we walk with the Holy Spirit, a spirit-controlled mind which knows and understands truth and a spirit-controlled um, heart 
that feels what love is and we can have a spirit-controlled will that inclines us towards obedience. And all of this is built upon the enormous beauty of Christ and Christ alone. So that's, that's, that's where we're going. Okay? If you'd like to chicken out, you can come back at the beginning of summer. All right, we'll make it through. Uh, our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. As we wrap up, let me make just a few things available to you. If you need prayer this morning, we, we want to pray with you. We don't believe life should be handled on our own. We believe that God gives the church as a companion for the adventures of your life. So if you need prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. If you have never given your heart to Christ, it's difficult to find joy, peace, happiness that's sustaining apart from Him. God loves you fiercely. And if that's you this morning, we want to pray with you. There'll be a group over here. We can find you a spot. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we are thankful that you have hold of our hearts, that you care about us, that you've revealed yourself to us in your creation and in your word and mostly in your son. I thank you that we can see you care your care for us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.